Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. This is episode 102, and today I have a friend of mine, Shane Pruitt. Welcome, Shane. Glad to have you on, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I've been looking forward to this for a little bit, so thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. We've been trying to get it on the books. So Shane <laughs> is a serves at uh, the National Next Gen Director for NAM, the Na- the North American Mission Board. Um, he is his wife, uh, Cassie, right? They reside uh, Casey. In- Casey. Yep. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was Casey or Cassie. They reside yep. in Texas uh, with their five children. Um, he has been ministry over 20 years, uh, denominational leader, church planner, pastor, student pastor. He also travels and speaks a lot. I see you on Instagram talking all the time. Um, evangelist, uh, Bible teacher. I got to hear you at YC last year, and that's where we kind of connected. Um, yeah. And then he has two books out, The Nine Common Lies Christians Believe and Why God's Truth is Infinitely Better, which I love that book, and uh, Calling Out the Call, Discipling Those Called to Ministry and Leadership. Um, he also hosts the Gen Send podcast, and you can follow him on Instagram or Twitter at Shane Pruitt seventy eight. So you can look him up. Um, man, there's your bio. Got lots of good thing, things in there, man. So so glad to have you. Uh, how's your week going? Tell us what's up, man. Yeah, man, going good. You know, um, so I'm all over the place. Um, you know, in my role uh, with the North American Mission Board, we have an office in Alpharetta, Georgia, but uh, I live outside of Dallas, Texas. So you know, it's a uh, you know, the day of we're having this conversation, I think it's a balmy 108 outside, Ugh, you know, <laughs> brutal over here too, man. It's so sweaty, Yeah, but it's good, man. The sun's out. It's another day that we're alive and breathing and the kids are at school right now. And I've just been doing some work. So it's been a good day so far. Good, man. Well, look, I, I was just so encouraged last year, you know, I've been at 30 something YCs and I just really saw the Holy Spirit on you last year and the way you talk with kids and this generation and just your passion for that stuff. And, and now I've followed you on Twitter and, and listened to your stuff on Instagram. And so I just thought you had a lot to bring to parents and to young adults who um, listen to this podcast and how they can maybe understand teens better. So tell us a little bit about what NAM is and, and kind of what your role is there. Yeah, well, first of all, Clint, man, thank you for your kind words. And man, what a joy it was to get to to meet you. I've, I've known your mom a little bit, you know, just yeah. serving and doing some things with the state convention there in, in Louisiana. But it's the first time I got to meet you. And man, I think we even said it there. And, and uh, one of the guys that traveled with me was like, uh, man, there was just this immediate kindred spirit, man, like immediately just those conversations in the green room mm-hmm. man, and we're picking your brain and asking you questions. Uh, man, it just felt like a immediate Uh, just like a kindred spirit there, just a brother in Christ. And then same thing, man, just staying connected with you. Um, And then just even some of the difficult things we've gone through lately as a family, you just checking on us, man, really appreciate that. 
Um, but yeah, so I serve with the North American Mission Board. People go, well, what is that? It's really a national entity of a network of churches, about 50,000 churches. And I serve as a national next-gen director. That means I get to help uh, lead our next-gen ministries. That's to young adults, college students, and teenagers and work with churches and ministries all over the nation doing that. And really our target group in that is we love teenagers, we love college students and young adults, but really we wanna influence the influencers of that generation. Mm -hmm. Meaning we wanna uh, coach, equip, resource uh, next-gen leaders who are on the front lines of reaching and mobilizing the next generation uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping them mature um, to become mature followers of Jesus. And so we work with college pastors, on-campus missionaries at universities, youth pastors, youth leaders. Um, and I love what I get to do, man. I don't know if you're supposed to have this much fun in ministry, but I'm having a blast. So I love what I get to do. That's good, man. I, I love uh, your passion comes through too. You're, I, I love how authentic you are and the way you talk to the kids and the teens and the young adults because they need it. And as a therapist, you know, I have spent the last 15 years working on the consequences of people not being discipled. You know, so much of what yeah. I do is the helping people recover, helping people with, you know, religious abuse and wounds and trauma. And so I've been spending, you know, especially the last four years really going, okay, how did we get here? And I think that mm -hmm. was what the kindred spirit was. Is like, I'm get, I was watching you like speak to them in a way that's like, oh, this is preventative. This is what I, I also want to be passionate about and is helping prevent this next generation of kids going through the same things. And waking up as adults going, Oh, I thought because I went to church and prayed a prayer that, you know, I was discipled and just having no relationships and no clue. And especially in how much the, the world has changed. So tell us your story a little bit, uh, as much as you want about like kind of what, what was your passion? What drove you to working with, with young adults and teens and, and the next generation? Yeah. So I grew up in Texas, um, but I didn't grow up in church. And if you live outside of Texas, that probably sounds surprising to people. I think people outside of Texas think everyone in Texas, it's Friday night football and Sunday morning church, That's you know, right. but I didn't grow up in church. Um, if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have probably said yes, because I live in Texas, but I had no idea what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, uh, to have the, the spirit of God living inside of me. I had no idea what that would even meant. Uh, or even, you know, meant or anything like that. I never truly met Jesus. So um, grew up outside of church. Uh, both my parents became believers at 16. And what was interesting is they were not Christians, but I, I kind of joke, they were some of the most moral lost people I've ever known. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they didn't really have any super strong vices. They had a super healthy marriage. Uh, I lived in a home that was a super healthy, moral, loving environment, but they didn't have Jesus. And so both of them became fathers of Jesus at 16. And then at 16, I prayed some prayer because I thought I did and thought I was in the Christian club, not really knew what it meant to truly place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And so from 16 to 21, I went to church, uh, but my trinity in high school and college was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My trinity, Clint, was uh, sports. I was an athlete partying and chasing girls. Um, and so from 16 to 21, I did that outside the walls of the church. We tried to act like a youth group leader in my church. But at 21, God got a hold of my heart and really wrecked me in the best way possible. And that's when I truly surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life, that God came to live inside of me. And He began to change me 
from the inside out. And at 21, I was, you know, when God saved me, not only did he save me from my sin, but he really saved me from myself because, man, I was lost in life. I was bouncing from job to job, relationship to relationship, moving in and out of my parents' house. Uh, I was failing out of junior college. Uh, Clint, that's almost impossible, but I was doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're you're doing so it well. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, w- I was killing in a life for sure. Not not at all. Not even a little bit. So um, the church I got saved in, uh, the pastor, I started spending a lot of time with him because all my friends were partiers. And I knew I couldn't continue to hang out with them because I would end up back in the same junk. I would share the gospel with them. I really believed at that time, if God could save me, he could save anyone. And I've believed that for the last 20 years of following Jesus. Um, so I started sharing the gospel with them and probably Clint in an overly aggressive way. I called it kind of ignorance on fire. Yeah. Like I had this passion for people to know Jesus, No filter. but it, I was so immature. I didn't know how to do it in a loving way. So I was telling my friends every day they were going to hell. Uh, they thought I joined a cult because we lived in Waco and we kind of have that in our history. Oh, you yeah. Know? And so, yeah. So like now over time, it's been cool to see many of them plugged in the church and begin to follow Jesus over time. But yeah, early on, man, uh, I, it was just ignorance on fire. I was passionate. I believe God could save me. He could save anybody. Didn't do it in a very mature way of tell others about Jesus. So one day my pastor goes, hey, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, why don't you at least go to Bible college and learn the Bible? Uh, until you figure out what God's calling you to do. And Clint, I didn't even know there was a such thing as Bible college. So I remember driving up to Dallas, Texas. I visited a campus of a, a private Christian school, Bible college. I looked at degree program, didn't see any math classes. And I was like, the Lord has spoken. This is what I'm <laughs> supposed to do. So I started the next semester going to Bible college. And I'd been a Christian less than a year. And here was all these Bible college students doing what Bible college students do. They're debating Calvinism and Arminianism and all those things. And I was still calling psalms palms you know i didn't know anything (laughs) and then i had some professors start discipling me and that's where i really began to mature and grow in the lord and then after being there about a year i really felt god calling me to ministry leadership and calling me to teach the bible and to disciple others and to serve in the church and um to be a leader and um and then the rest is history I, i served as a youth pastor um, for a long time, and then the lead pastor of a church, and then I've been doing the role I'm in now for the last three years, and it's been an awesome journey. And then through that all, my most important ministry is my family. Mm-hmm. Um, Casey and I will celebrate being married 19 years this September, wow. and uh, we have five kiddos here on earth and one in heaven uh, two of those are biological daughters, just meaning they carry my wife and I's DNA, and then four of them are adopted, um, and meaning they're very much equally our children, just don't have our DNA. And so uh, we've adopted two boys from Africa and a boy and a girl from Texas. Yeah, yeah that's amazing, man. It is. It's funny. I uh, spoke at a church this weekend, and one of my it was like back in my hometown, and I, you know, it's kind of a prophet's yep. not known his own town kind of thing, you know. And oh, I go for back, sure. and uh, this old, older lady comes up to me, and she she's like, "Clint, do you know who I am?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, you, you're a teacher, you know." And said her name, and she said, "Well, I just want to tell you, when I think of your name, I never think of Christian counselor, you know." And she was like, "I would have <laughs> never thought you'd have been this." And That's I was amazing. just I was like, "I don't know if I should take this as a compliment or." <laughs> Oh but man, like, God's grace. No, hundred yeah. percent. But like, man, you know, in my office, like hanging on my wall are not degrees and those kind of things. Uh, in, in my office, hanging on the wall 
is um, a, a certificate that I got at our 10-year high school reunion, and I got uh, awarded the person who had changed the most That's awesome, over dude. 10 years out of high school. And I look at it and go, it's just God's grace. So in that, when I accepted that award, I got to share you know, five minutes of why I'm so different. So I basically just shared the gospel with my graduating class 10 years later, man. Dude, that's so, so cool. Yeah, it's needed, man. We have our, uh, at my Afghanistan, I went to Afghanistan 20 years ago this weekend, we have our uh, uh, reunion. And so me and my best friend are going, and I look forward to kind of going and laugh, like hysterically Absolutely. laughing at the fact that I'm a Christian counselor now to all the people who, you know, <laughs> knew me when I was in the army, which would not have thought that I would end up being. Yeah, absolutely. About 10 absolutely. years ago, I went to, I was going to looking at the chaplaincy. And so I went by the like unit or whatever. And they were all like, you're doing what? Like what's happening with you? So you're like, for people listening, like, I think it's important for people to realize like when scripture says to boast in our weakness, like that's the point. It's like, you're, you're telling no, no. God's story, not your story. You know, you're not, um, yeah. it's cool to see what he can do in 20, 30 years with somebody that you just can't even make up. And it's, it's amazing. So I love that testimony. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, um, no doubt. And I, and I think that's just the beauty of following Jesus is that I think a lot of times when we do begin to follow Jesus or we look at our life and go, God, I've made so many mistakes. What's the point now is I think when we start looking a year down the road or five years down the road, 10 years down the road, I think it's good to plan and have vision and goals and all that. But a lot of times I think that can overwhelm us. So mm -hmm. typically the advice I give, especially new believers or those that are just kind of trying to start over in their life is I just say, hey, choose Jesus moment by moment. Yep. Like just in this moment, I realize Jesus is better. In this moment, I choose Jesus. And what's awesome is eventually those moments turn into minutes and those minutes into hours, those hours into days, those days in the weeks, weeks in the months, months in the years. And one day you look up and go, I'm not perfect but I'm not who I used to be because of the power of God in my life. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the struggles I have with like, you know, you're working in the prevention and I'm working in more of the, the recovery. Um, not that you don't work in that either, but mm -hmm. I think one of the things I ask Christians all the time as adults is who, what do you think God thinks of you if, as he's looking at you right now? And yeah. it's, it's so crazy how many people say, I think he's really disappointed. And then course, we have to yeah. do the, all this work of like, you know, let's think about your beliefs. What do you think about God? And, and so I think mm -hmm. it's pivotal for you um, to be really being that voice that tells these kids and young adults who they are outside of their parents, yeah. outside of culture, outside of social media. Um, so what do you yeah. think in your work, working with teenagers, working with young adults, what are some of the top things that you see that you're dealing with that are unique to this, this age group? And then maybe just common in humanity. Yeah, right. I love what you said while I go, Clint. You're talking because you kind of pointed out what you've seen even in your work the last three to four years. And my gosh, what what you men and women are doing in the areas of psychology and counseling and therapy. And my gosh, you talk about a ministry. You are on the front lines of navigating really somewhat of a new normal, you know, through the pandemic. And, mm -hmm. and here's what I tell leaders who are working with young people is that here's what I believe is that the pandemic didn't necessarily create new problems. It just poured gasoline on the problems yep, that were already there, yep. right? So even before the pandemic, when you looked at like depression rates, anxiety rates, suicide rates with Generation Z compared to millennials and Gen Xers and boomers, it was already higher before the pandemic, then the pandemic just poured gasoline on that. Yep. So now you have a generation coming through that and on the other side of that the last three years and they're 
they're coming to the end of themselves at a much earlier age. I think yep. one thing about Generation Z and probably even more so the alpha generation after them is they realize the world is broken and they realize they're broken. So in that, they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for truth. And when they're not finding it in the world, I think that's where depression rates go up and anxiety rates go up and suicide mm -hmm. rates go up. And so that's an opportunity for us to as the church to slide into those moments. And here's where I think us as the church has to get better. When we slide into those moments, we can't slide in with our politics. We can't slide in with our agendas. We can't even slide in with our opinions. We slide in with the gospel to go, hey, the hope you're looking for, the answers you're looking for, the truth you're looking for, the peace you're looking for actually has a name. And that name's the name above every name, Jesus. And it's a great opportunity where, Clint, I've seen more young people get flat out saved in the last three years than probably the previous 20 years of ministry mm. combined, because I think there is this openness, this searching that's always been there since the fall, right, in right. the Garden of Eden. But I feel like it's even heightened now. And I think one thing the Internet and social media has done for a generation is uh, the brokenness in the world is right in front of their face every day as they're scrolling through their phone. Right. Yep. So I would say when you go, what, what am I seeing like about this generation? Uh, there's an excitement because I think there is a hunger for truth. Um, there used to be this saying, and I, I don't even know where it came from, Clint. You're much smarter than me, so you may know. I used to only hear preachers say it. I don't even know where, but literally, I'd only hear preachers saying it. And they would say, you know, people aren't on a truth journey. They're on a happiness journey. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe that's absolutely not true with Generation Z, young adults, college students, and teenagers right now. They're absolutely on a truth journey. Yep. Like, they know there's an agenda. They know that so much news is filtered or opinionated. They know, like, so many things social media filtered or polished um, they know so many things in uh, institutions are i think that's why a lot of them have a distrust for institutions they never feel like they're really getting the authentic raw truth and so they're looking for truth so i think that's an exciting part i think a sobering part too is and you know this like you said you're having these conversations you're on the front line um, here's three areas i think that gen z are really struggling young adults college students teenagers is uh first of all mental emotional health we know that without a doubt um secondly there's a lot of confusion i think over lgbtqia plus things because especially if they're on a university campus or in a public school those things are right in front of their face every single day and in fact and i think a lot of times we might try to um, protect our kids by homeschooling or putting them in christian schools but listen if they're on the internet it's still in front of their face every yeah. day yeah and then I think the third thing is there's a lot of con uh, confusion on gender confusion. So I think those are three things. And so as I think Christian leaders, Christian counselors, uh, people in ministry, um, if the world is screaming about these things, and they are, um, we got to realize culture also disciples. Culture also preaches. Culture also has messages. So when culture is screaming these things and the church remains silent, then a whole generation only hears one worldview. Then a lot of times as Christians, we get upset at what young people believe, but we're not a part of the conversation. So as the church, I think we got to lovingly, kindly, but boldly step in with the truth of God's word and get back into those conversations. Because here's what I found. Young people want to talk about those things. It's usually us adults who are nervous or scared because we don't want to get in trouble or we don't want to have 
post on social media about us or we don't want to get canceled. So we're nervous. Um, but they want to talk about those things. Yeah, man, that's so good. A couple of things I was jotting down while you're talking. I think you're so right in the, um, the fact that kids today are not as naive because yeah. they're so early exposed to how bad and broken life is. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. in our childhood, you know, yes, we, there was trauma, there were bad things, but there, there's a difference between exposure and immersion. Mm-hmm. And these kids are, have been immersed in so much of this trauma and sexual ideology and, you know, drugs and alcohol compared to just, you know, 30 years ago where you were just kind of exposed to it. It caused problems. It caused trauma. It was problematic in the culture, but it was like, you might've seen it once a month or you might've experienced it in one household, but it wasn't every household. And now yeah. it's like these kids grew up, you know, the, 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 the bonds are off and everybody's, you know, doing it and, and thinking about it and talking about it. And so, yeah. yeah, they're not as naive. So they're, you're right. They are looking for truth and they're, they're hearing a lot of voices about it. Um, and yeah, then, and I think that's why Clint is so important too. like in exactly what you're saying is that like, if we don't know the answer to something, I think as leaders, we just have to be okay saying we don't know, yeah. because I think when we do that, that shows more authenticity and transparency. Here's what I, I'm going to tell you, what young people, here's what I believe, authenticity and transparency rules today, yep. um, because they will fact check you in real time. You know, so I preach, right? So I'm I'm preaching in front of people, and a lot of times you'll see young people with their phone out, and you know, I think we assume, oh, they're probably on Snapchat or TikTok or something, and they might be. But sometimes they're on Google and they're fact checking some of the stuff you're saying. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. So, so I think a lot of times if we just try to answer because we're scared to say we don't know, and then we try to you know come off as an expert on something that we really don't know what we're talking about, and they'll fact check you, and then it seems inauthentic to them, or it seems again they're lumping you into an area of like, oh, here's someone else I can't trust. Yep. And so I think if you, if a young person feels like they can trust you, that's how you win the day, I think, with young people is when they feel like they can trust you. That's good, man. I think one of the things when I talk to kids is I say up front, like, hey, I want to recognize that your mom and dad didn't do it all right. And that, yeah. you, you know, a lot of pastors, I think, over the years, because maybe maybe everybody wasn't as traumatized or maybe it was more majority, more majority health, I, I don't necessarily agree, but maybe, um, you know, they talk to kids like you need to behave, you need to do these things, you need yeah. to follow Jesus, you know, you need to yeah. listen to your parents. And the kids are sitting there going, my, my dad cusses at me every day. My dad's plastered mm-hmm. every day. My dad is not here. Yeah. And you're lecturing me about how I should be behaving. Like, you know, that's what yeah. I think for a generation or two we've gotten. And these kids, um, the reason authenticity is so important is because there's a there's a trauma brain that's working going sniffing around for false mm-hmm. things and, and, and waiting yeah. for the pr- the animal to attack, right? They're very good yeah. at smelling and feeling inauthenticity. And so when you're an authentic person, it's not that you're being perfect, it's that you're being yep. safe. And so yeah, when you come for forward sure. with, look, hey, this is who I am, I struggle with these things, but I'm gonna speak truth and grace to you, then they're way more open to listening to an adult tell them, and, and that's what I loved about you last year when I heard you speak was you're very authentic and just acknowledging your own story, your own fears, your own struggle. And people love that. People want to hear it. But we've grown up our age in a culture of like, you don't talk about those things, right? Yeah. If you if you share your failures or any struggles, then somehow the gospel doesn't work as if the message of the gospel <laughs> is if you receive it, then you won't have any mess ups. 
No doubt. And I think even in ministry, you know, like I'm a preacher, um, you know, like the preachers that would have been of my dad's generation or granddad's generation, a lot of them were even taught in schools and seminaries, don't use yourself as an illustration in your messages, because that little church lady sitting in the pew, she needs to have a certain view of her pastor. You know what I mean? Yes. And so I think a lot of times, like, so we, they didn't do that. And I think if we don't do that, then especially for young people, they listen to us. And if we always have it figured out, or if we are using ourselves an example and we're always the hero yep. of our own story and illustration, then they look at that and they'll go, that's fake. That's not real. Or they'll kind of slide on the opposite side and go, man, I can never be like that yep. person. So why even try? And I think both of them are equally dangerous, you know? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, yeah, it's, it's true. It's just, we have to, I think, again, honestly, you know, acknowledging where they're at too and being up to date. I think one of the beautiful things about what you do is being up to date, being connected, actually having relationships with these kids. So when you're talking to them, they're like, oh, he actually knows what's happening is so important. And that mm-hmm. also brings them in because they're like, oh, he, he spends time with us. He loves on us. He's not just here to give us information. He wants mm-hmm. transformation. I love that. Yeah. Um. So what would you say? So that's so some of what kids are dealing with. What what would you say? How do you deal with parents who are, you know, in that age gap of, man, we didn't have phones. We didn't have social media. We didn't have any of these things. And we weren't discipled. Like, what are you seeing or how are you working within that to kind of help them? Absolutely. And I, and I feel that. I feel that deep. You know, I think one thing what we did in the church, which what we're saying is right. I don't know that we're equipping people to actually do it, you know, because there was a shift 10 to 15 years ago where it's all like, hey, it's, it's we got to change the mindset. We got to change the paradigm in churches to go, hey, it's not primarily the youth pastor's job to disciple your kids or the children's leaders or the college leader. Uh, it's your job as parents. And that's a true statement, but then we don't give them tools to actually do that, right? So we'll go, hey, listen, parents, it's your job to disciple your kids. And, you know, and here's the deal is like every parent wants to do that. I've yet to meet a parent in church go, nah, (laughs) not interested. (laughs) Yeah, 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 pass, nah. (laughs) You know, so I feel like every parent is like, yes, I want to do that. But on a large scale, I think a lot of times if you think of especially, you know, kids and teenagers today, who are their parents? Young Gen Xers or millennials. And so that's a whole generation that on a large scale was skipped from being discipled. And so now you're going, hey, we're going to ask all these parents who have never been discipled themselves to disciple their kids. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to go, hey, we want kids to be discipled by their parents, then we have to get better at equipping parents. And so, Clint, one of the questions I get probably the most from youth pastors or college pastors or next-gen leaders is to go, hey, Shane, if you went, if you could go back into the local church and be a youth pastor again or a next-gen pastor or a collegiate leader, what would you do differently? And here's what I'd do differently, Clint. I'd, sp- I'd split my time, focus, and resources into thirds. Where used to, I would only focus on the students, right? right? I would spend a third of my time focusing on the students. Spending time with them, building those relationships, pouring into them, investing in them. I would spend a third of my time on the parents. How am I discipling these parents? How am I putting resources in their hands? Now, here's the deal. I can't make parents do anything. But at least I'm putting the resources and tools in their hands or giving opportunities for them to be resourced. And so instead of me only doing student events, 
what am I doing uh, event-wise or training-wise to equip the parents? Yep. Um, because at best, if you're a church leader, at best, those students in, are only spending an hour to three hours with you in a week. All that other time is under the watch care of their parents. Yep. So how are you equipping their parents, grandparents, legal guardians, who's the primary adult in their life? Yep. And then the other third of the time would to be to pour in, call out, develop more leaders. Um, because, friends, we can't do it alone. I mean, think about it. Jesus mainly rolled with 12 and one of them rebelled. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even within that 12, he spent most of his time in focus with three. Mm-hmm. So why do we think we can manage 20 or 50 or 100 by ourselves? We can't. We have to multiply ourselves. We have to make other leaders. And I think the more uh, leaders that are involved, that's going to help. Because even you look at stages of students as they move through, say, church life, um, you got, you know, kids that grew up in children's ministry, and then sometimes they fall through a gap between children's ministry and student ministry. Mm -hmm. Or if they make it in middle school, there's another gap when they go from middle school to high school that they fall out of. And then there's this massive gap where kids fall out of church between high school and college or after college. And so why why is that? Well, there's many reasons. But then when students actually stay, what I call it from cradle through college, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then they get in the life of the church and they're in, what's one of the reasons why students stay through that transition? And the number one answer is relationships. The more relationships they have and the more they're involved in the whole life of the church, the more they will pass through those different transitions um, in their life. And so I would say it's got to be relationships we got to pour in the parents. We got to disciple more leaders so that we have more leaders that are ready to pour into young people as well. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think it's a hard task to ask parents to disciple kids if they've never been discipled themselves. Yeah. That's good, man. That's right on. I mean, took the words all out of my mouth and what up, you know, one of the things that's been interesting as a clinician um, is, you know, 10 years ago, I was really heavy into you need to be a therapist to be helping anybody with any trauma because I wasn't seeing that in the church. I grew up, you know, nobody was talking about mental health. Nobody was talking about sex or, you know, drugs. They were talking about it. Don't do it, but not talking about like what's going on and how are you discipled in these things and how do I understand them and um, anxiety, depression. But I'm the cool thing again, go back to the Gen Z. It's like, but all these guys have been watching, you know, Grey's Anatomy and seeing EMDR and trauma therapy happening and they have a value for mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting what I, where I'm pushing this last year and then we got some things in the works is how do I help equip youth pastors, youth leaders uh, and just pastors in general on understanding what I call the general revelation of God in the science and how do we take that and integrate that into the theology and where the rubber meets Love the it. road, so to speak, because I think for generations we've had pastors go, you know, I don't want to deal with mental health because there's a lot of toxic, weird abusive things going on. And it's like, that's true, but we never really created an ethos in Christianity around brain science and psychology and sociology and, and go, okay, God's revealing this to us. We now know how children are wired. We now know how trauma works and scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we know with the science, how to make that happen through communication and relationship and repair. And all of those things are just what Jesus is teaching. You know, yeah. it's just now we have more information about why that's true. And so yeah. I think our hope in, in our future is guys like you and needing more leaders because those kids, man, those 15 year olds or those 20 year olds who become pastors, 
they need more of a robust answer for people than go read your Bible more because these kids have grown up seeing, oh, therapy works, trauma therapy works, EMDR works, you know, like we're all just going to go to therapy. And that's a good thing. But there's also this risky side where now therapy is the answer. And, you yeah. know, and the, the way you think and the way you process is the answer. And yes, that's true. But where it falls short is if it's not in tune with the, the truth of Christ, that you are loved and you are valued because of who God says you are and what Jesus did, Man. then yep. at the end of the day, what happens is, is you sit across from a therapist who says, look, your root issue is that you don't love yourself. You need mm -hmm. to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And the person goes, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, you, you need to love yourself because you're a human and you're worthy of love. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, but I, I, I want to do that, but I know all the things about myself that are not lovable and that are not good mm -hmm. and that are not, you know, healthy. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's based on your trauma. So you're not responsible for that. Okay, well, but I do hurt other people because of my trauma. And so I can't really like myself as I yell at my husband or yell at my son or watch porn or do these things. And, and the, the secular version is, well, I'm telling you you're lovable. So just believe that. And at, at your core, yeah. just know that you're good. And so yeah, it's, know it's, that. it's an interesting dynamic as a Christian counselor and a licensed person because you're going, well, that's really just regurgitating more nonsense that the person then leaves your office and they, they go out and they go, well, crap, I failed. I can't even believe in myself now, you know, because yep. they're still the center of their power and their energy. Does that make sense? Exactly. What I'm saying? I'm trying absolutely. to conceptualize it. No, absolutely. And, and I really believe this, you know, and I think we even had this almost similar conversation um, in the green room in, in Louisiana last fall is that you know like i believe all truth is god's truth yep right like if he's the truth then all truth is going to come from him and so i think even if we're not careful right like everything we're saying even in this situation you need to love yourself and stuff like that is all true but if it's not through the lens of a christian worldview or a biblical worldview is you can take that truth and then make it into a lie, meaning like you're not doing it through God. So if you go, man, I need to love myself. Why? Through a biblical worldview, because I'm made in the image of God. Yep. That God loved me so much. He sent his son to die on a cross for me. That God, you know, like God put extreme value in me. He bought me with the blood of his son and there's nothing more valuable than that. So if you have that worldview, that's a healthy way to hear you need to love yourself. If you don't have that, you can leave that and go, oh, yeah, man, I need to love myself. I need to be the center of my own universe. Yeah. Everything needs to like anything that doesn't make me feel good needs to be removed from my life. Yep. Anything that's in my way needs to be removed. Anything that causes me to to even suffer or anything that causes me to to really like serve others needs to be removed. They're an inconvenience to me, you yeah. know? And so, you know, and I think that's even through the years, some of the self-help stuff, I think that's how it came to the top. You yep. know, I, I remember even like, you, I remember there was, it was real popular for a time to ask if certain things brought you joy or not. You know, it's like, does this teapot bring me joy? It doesn't, it's gotta go, you know? And so, <laughs> I don't know if you remember some of that do, stuff yeah. where you were supposed to ask if everything brings you joy, but you know, yeah, and then I think, you know, and Clint, I mean, man, I agree so much with what you're saying, too. And I think all of if we want to change the world, we need to change the home right first. And so, like, it all starts at home. And I think a lot of times I think another marker you see sometimes with young people, especially today, 
um, it's just this absolute distrust for authority yep. and a lack of respect for any kind of authority. And I think that starts at home where I've having so many conversations with other pastors and leaders and then even other, you know, LPCs and counselors and therapists, they go, man, we're, we're, we're ministering to so many families that we're honestly, the kids rule the house, yep. not the parents. Yeah. And so it's almost like the parents are bowing to whatever the kid says and wants and it's almost like the parents are intimidated of their own kids and stuff like that. And so, you know, I think there's a whole generation sometimes that comes up and go, they love their parents, but they don't necessarily respect their parents. Yep. And if they don't respect their parents, they're certainly not going to respect their teachers or their coaches or their youth pastor or anybody else, any other authority figure in their life. Yeah, that's so good. Well, you, you know, we have an entire generation of parents who are wounded. And so yeah, uh, what happened, you know, in the 50s and 60s is that we we shifted in this very individualized parent. You know, the word parenting didn't come in the English language until 1958. Wow. wow. Like there wasn't. See, even, I learned something new from you every time we talk. There I didn't was, even know that. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. there wasn't like even a concept in sociology and psychology for like how a husband and wife, how they interact affects their child. You know, historically, they just we had kids to survive, to work the land, to do the thing that we were going to do to promote our business. And so it was just the whole generation of kids were to be seen and not heard. And yeah. then Industrial Revolution happens and men go to war. And all of a sudden we have this very individualized parenting. We all of a sudden have backyards with fences, no more community. Churches become more of a you know business oriented like kind of setup where you have the executive pastor and the the CEO and and people are coming to this thing instead of being in communities. They'll drive thirty minutes to a church outside of their neighborhood, and so yeah. all this individualism happened. And what I th think really happened was is that um, there was a very psychology got involved and it started being about behavior modification because that's all we knew. And so yeah, right. A plus sure. B equals C, you know, if you shock the dog or feed the dog and he salivates and then this, right. And, and we started learning about like Pavlovian theory and all this stuff. Anyway, the point is, is that we adopted that in parenting. And so because we were wounded, there's a generation of parents who, when they had kids, they were like, well, this kid's got a reflection of me. I've been mm -hmm. told that if I parent a certain way, the kid will turn out a certain way. A plus B equals mm -hmm. C. So if I'm yeah. a good parent, and I disciple my child, they'll turn out good. And if I'm not, then they'll turn out bad. And there's some truth to that, right? Like you said earlier, there is some, there's, there's some truth in discipleship and the importance of that. But the reality is, is God had, or Adam and Eve had perfect parents and look yep. how they turned out. Yeah. No and doubt. so it's like, yeah. even if you love your kid perfectly, even if you have all the monitoring devices, your kid has to deal with their sin and they're no going to make choices that have nothing to do with how good or worthy or valuable you are. No doubt. And if they win a trophy and win a baseball game, that might also have nothing to do with you. And yep. if they fail, and so it's like parents, there's, there's a whole generation of parents who are projecting onto their children or have you, your grades, your success, and your failures are all a reflection of my worth and value. Mm -hmm. And so we have these kids growing up, like you said, who have a disrespect for authority because there's there's never really been a connection in the home that discipleship's right. not happening. They're not being taught who they are. They're being taught you're responsible for my emotions and my feelings, kid, get it together. Yeah, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> and you can see that played out in real time. Cause I mean, we live in the suburbs 
And man, you can see that played out real in real time around a little league field oh, any right. Saturday morning, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yes. Or, or or just join a Christian league, right? Like a yeah, you join yeah, upwards or right. something, and then watch yeah, the Christian that's right. parents it's like, just yeah, it's screaming. Like, yeah, I'm living my high school athletic dreams through my six year old, and that's way too much pressure on them, you bro. Know? It's yeah. crazy. But again, that this generation, these younger kids, they're aware of that now. You no know, doubt. and there's so much pressure on them. And so when they, man, but isn't this the truth of the truth of Jesus is like when they meet a mature believer, a mature male, a mature woman, then they're soaking it up. You know, they know because they haven't seen it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is what this is supposed to be. Yeah. And I think there's an exciting aspect of exactly what you're saying, Clint, is like, especially older teenagers and college students especially if they're on a say a um a public school campus or they go to a, a, a like a non-christian university is like if they're coming to faith in Jesus in those years on some level it's almost like a pure conversion yeah. because they've already counted the cost of what it means to be a christian before coming a christian because if they're on those public schools or in those universities They've heard Christianity be bashed. They've heard it called archaic and hateful and bigoted. And you can't be an intellect and a believer in God. I mean, they've heard all those things. They've mm -hmm. seen clubs pop up that are not just not Christian, but also anti-Christian, anti yep. you know? And so on some level, they've already counted the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus before becoming a follower of Jesus. So when they become a follower of Jesus, almost like a pure conversion where they go all in because they've counted the cost. And you see that with Gen Z. You know, uh, I think it was Spurgeon that used to have that quote, you're either a, as a, a Christian, you're either a missionary or an imposter. And I think with Gen Z, it's almost like uh, you're either a missionary or nothing. It's like you're all in or all out. I think yep. that squishy middle that we saw especially in the 50s and 60s where you were it was culturally advantageous for you to identify as a christian that's just not so anymore i mean you yeah. even see it shifting and and even in the south and what people call the bible belt listen the 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 buckle of the bible belt has busted with lostness you know yes, especially sir. young people and so used to, if you didn't go to church on Sunday morning, you had to explain to your neighbors why you didn't go to church on Sunday mornings, right? right. But today it's different. If you do go to church on Sunday morning, it's almost like you have to explain to your neighbors why you go to church, you yep. know? So it's, it's shifting and it's different. Um, and my evangelist side of my heart is excited about it because I think sometimes one of the biggest hindrances to the pure gospel is this cultural Christianity that's not real biblical New Testament Christianity. It's just, well, I identify as a Christian because it's culturally advantageous for me too. Yeah. So when that's removed, I think sometimes a pure form of the gospel and Christianity can immerse, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. I think, you know, I was doing some prayer time about eight months ago and thinking about some of this stuff and struggling with some stuff in our own life. And, and God just kept pouring out this word breakthrough. You know, yeah. like in my, in my prayer yeah. time, like there's a breakthrough coming individually, culturally. And I went through this series about four years ago. That's literally the series that our home church is going through right now called breakthrough. Dude, that's amazing. <laughs> you not? Literally it's called breakthrough. Yeah. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's so yeah. good, man. Uh, yeah. So we're, so about four years ago, I was doing all this research, starting to work on the book and, and that I just finished and, you know, just kind of going, what are the answers to a lot of these problems? Let's, let's give some parents some solutions. Let's prevent all this trauma. And I got really overwhelmed with just like, oh man, 
we're it's going bad, you know, like in another five or six years, 10 years, like it, we're in trouble. And that's still true. But what I've, what I've learned from people like you and listening to you talk and, and then other pastors that are working in young adults is that the same thing you just said, which is the difference in being a Christian when we were teenagers and our parents were teenagers is that you looked the same as the world and it was fine. You know, generally yeah. it's like, well, you go to church, you don't murder people and you show up in your khakis and your polo and you're fine. Yeah. But today for these kids, especially in young adults in the next five to 10 years, especially you're it's, it's not really, you can't do what the world's doing and be healthy and be living in the Imago day that you're supposed to, you know, yeah, if no you're doubt. on your phone all the time, if you're looking at porn every day, if you're on social yeah. media constantly, no doubt. the anxiety and depression and consequences of that are so high yeah, that you, you you can't be walking in the spirit and also go, oh, well, this is these are all good things. So I'll just do what everybody else is doing. The consequences are too high. And so you're right. Like no doubt. these kids are the ones who are going to come up with solutions to social media problems or porn problems or addiction yeah. problems or self image problems because they've been living it. And so yeah. I, I, I you know, I know you do, too, but I'm always telling youth like. You, I need you guys to come up with stuff. Like I need you to create a social media platform that's Christ centered, that's helpful, that does all the good things and hinders all the bad things because the world isn't worried about filters. They're not worried about protecting. They're going, Hey, addiction and, and, um, depression and anxiety, it stirs people up in cells. So they can, you know, as long as they're on my, subscribing and showing up, like who cares if they're dying, we're making billions mm -hmm. of dollars. Wild, man. It, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, too, this is probably one of the first time in modern U.S. history, too, that being a young person who is a follower of Jesus is considered rebellious. Um, you know, like if you think about like every generation when they're young loves to rebel against whatever the social norms are, right? Whatever the political, social, institutional oh, yeah. norms are, they want to rebel against that. Well, think about today. And 2023 is the time of this recording for a teenager or a college student. There's nothing more culturally rebellious than saying that you're an authentic follower of Jesus. You believe the Bible is the word of God. You believe what the Bible has to say about marriage and sexuality and gender. And you're going to live that out as a 16 year old or a 20 year old. You're seen as a rebellion. So what if Gen Z and, and Alpha Generation, their rebellion is that they believe the Bible and are followers of Jesus? Preach, man. That's amazing. <laughs> That's great. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, listeners, you're listening to this like you, we you need to recognize that as a parent that instead of seeing like your kids as so negative and selfish and ridiculous, it's like you, you got to see them as the hope for our future and for the church, because yeah. they're the soldiers that are going to rise up and fight the fight. And, and they're going to be the ones who, you know, make a way for the kids behind them. And man, I, I'm yep. so encouraged by, by you, Shane, and just, you know, the way you live your life and authentically in the way, you know, you speak and teach and love on these kids and the young adults, because it's, it's super needed. And yeah. it's easy for people to be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to preach or I'm going to do this thing. And I know those things are hard too. And, but working with the kids, I mean, it's really the future of, for all of our success. And I tell people all the time, I'm super biased because I got little kids. I mean, they're you know, yeah. almost six and almost nine. And I'm like, I need you to get your stuff together, teenager, because you're going to be my kids adults. No doubt. You know, yeah. they're going to be the 25 yeah. year olds when my kids are 18. When my kids yep. are 25, they're going to be the 32 year olds shaping all of, you know, so it's like, biasly it's like i need i need we need to help these kids because that's our whole no future doubt. for sure for sure go ahead oh yeah i was just saying it just reminds me of what you're saying 
Uh, I love uh, probably one of my mission verses in life is Psalm 145.4, where it says, one generation shall declare the mighty acts of God to the next. So if you think about it, even the reason you and I are here today, Clint, with our beliefs and worldviews is because we're standing on the shoulders of faithful men and women from past generations who were faithful to point the next generation to the mighty acts of God and so on and so on. So that's what's beautiful about the kingdom of God. It, it was here way before us. It will be here way after us. And now, like as this current generation, we don't start anything or end anything. It's just our turn to be faithful, yeah. to point the next generation to the mighty acts of God so that they'll do exactly what you're saying. So that they would raise up and point the generation after them to the mighty acts of God and so on and so on and so on. And my hope is that one day my great, great grandkids that I never meet will hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ because mm-hmm. generations are raising up, pointing the next generation to Jesus. It's yeah. good, man. It's real good. Um, so uh, to move on to a little, a little more sensitive of the subject, tell yeah. you know I know recently you just lost your son. So, you know, we talked before coming on here, if it was appropriate for us to talk about it, just so my listeners know Shane's good with it. So just kind of tell us where you're at and, uh, and how you're feeling and what God's shown you in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Our son Titus, um, was adopted from Uganda, Africa, and, and, uh, we adopted him when he was six months old and, and we knew at that time that he was going to have some unique needs, but we didn't realize the severity of that until we got back to the States and, literally left the airport and went to children's hospital and he was in there for a week where they found out that he was suffering from a seizure disorder and, and having seizures uh, multiple every day. So fast forward, uh, you know, uh, 10 years. I remember last year when he turned 10, that was a big deal, double digits, you know, miracle. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, man, just in 10 years of his life, uh, he had, you know, over 20 surgeries, you know, in and out of the hospital, a constant daily battle with seizures. He had a rare seizure disorder called Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, meaning he suffers from multiple forms of seizures. And uh, man, just here in, in the last uh, seven weeks, he he went to, to be home with Jesus, where uh, our theology uh, holds and, and got a lot of scripture support to that. I even wrote like kind of a little mini article on it, put it online of, is I believe that he is with Jesus today, and I, I believe he is fully healed, uh, and he's getting to do things that he's never gotten mm. to do before, like walk and 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 sing and run and worship with his hands up. Uh, Titus was in a wheelchair, fed through a G tube, um, was not able to communicate verbally like you and I, Clint. Um, but gosh, I tell you what, and I and I really mean this. This isn't preacher talk. I really mean this. Besides the Holy Spirit himself, the greatest discipler in my life was my son, Titus. Mm. And, um, you know, for 10 years of his life, uh, my wife started saying this first. And like, so true. And I've just been saying it since she started saying it is like, you know, for 10 years, we would lay our hands on Titus and pray for God to physically heal him because our theology believes that God still heals people. And we would pray for God to heal him. But the great irony of God in all that, Clint, is over 10 years as we were praying for God to heal our son Titus, God actually used our son Titus to heal us. Mm -hmm. And without a doubt, God used Titus to make me a better follower of Jesus, a better husband, better father, better leader, better servant, better friend. Um, and so, yeah, man, we're we're going through that grieving process. Just being honest, Clint. Um, you know, like 
we're not worried about him anymore. Uh, we believe he's fully healed. He's in the presence of God. Um, but yeah, we're going through our own grief and then our kids, gosh, our kids loved him so much. And so helping them go through that same process. And, and somebody said it like this to me uh, earlier this week, Clint, over a lunch is, and, and it's a person who has gone through, you know, the loss of someone very, very close to them. And they said, I feel like, you know, grief sometimes is this process where you go, it's difficult days with some good moments to eventually you get to some good days with some difficult moments yeah. and it's going through that process. And we're just in the middle of that process. But here's what's wild, Clint. It's like, as we feel all the emotions and sometimes we feel all the emotions in the same day, yeah. I said, we're not even going day by day. We're going like hour by hour, you know, is that, you know, sometimes there's this just overwhelming joy and peace. And then sometimes there's this dark, deep sadness. And then sometimes there's just frustration and sometimes there's just confusion and doubt. But through it all, one thing that we know for sure we felt is just the heavy presence of God. Mm. Like even when I go run every day and listen to worship music, I feel the presence of God. Even when I'm struggling with some frustration in those moments, I feel the presence of God. Like, and, and I think it's just this reminder of those verses in John where Jesus says he's holding us in our, in his hands. And then, you know, he's in the father's hands, you know, and his hands are in the father's hands. And so it's just, I think it's a reminder that God is always holding us and God is always with us. It's just sometimes there's moments where we're more aware of that reality. And so I want to say like, God's been so faithful that we feel the heavy presence of God with us and he has not forsaken us. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I know there's a lot more to it and I know that God will continue to use that story and Titus and you and your family uh, to make beauty from ashes. Um, when it's the ashes yeah. though, man, it sucks. And so, you know, I hate yeah. it. I hate it for you, but I also know, like you said, there's purpose in it. And I know your belief. I know your faith. Um, I think for people listening, you know, it's important to realize that, um, it's easy to get in the blame game and get mad at God. It's easy to grieve. It's easy to push it aside and just do the Christian thing, which, you know, one of your books talks about is, you know, God won't give you anything more than you can handle, you know, and these, and these kind of just cliche Christian East. Yeah, like, lie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Everything we have is more than we can handle um, without yeah. him. But um, it's important just for people to realize that, you know, God is good in the moment, but you can also cry out and be angry. And I think David, you know, in the Psalms gives us such a beautiful entire book where we see him go from happy to sad to mad to angry to questioning. And, no doubt. And he was a yep. man after God's own heart. And so I think yep. we just have to remember that. I know you know this, but just an encouragement of like the reason David was a man after God's own heart was not because he was more righteous or more loyal. It was because he trusted God enough to give him all of himself and ask him the questions yep. and have the hard things. And, and that's what God wants from all of us is to be a dad that we trust him enough to go, Hey, what the, you know, like what is happening here? I'm mad about this. I'm sad about this. And yeah, he just wants to be with us and, and connect with us. And, um, yeah. Clint, if it's okay, I'd love to just encourage the listeners that, that maybe someone's listening to this and they're going through their own like suffering right now or their own grief. Listen, we all go through difficult days. I think what feels kind of natural to us or the default when we're going through difficult times is to really kind of isolate ourselves. Like we're like, man, I don't want to be around people. That's emotionally exhausting or I don't want to go to church. I don't, I definitely don't want to spend time with the Lord. I'm kind of frustrated with him. And so we kind of like pull back and I want to just say those are the moments instead of pulling back, press in. Because mm. I look at it and go, gosh, it's been, let me just be honest, it's been tough. It's been 
difficult. And those words don't even describe like the English language fails to describe what, you know, we feel in the grief and sadness. But in all that, we have the Lord with us. Our church family has been incredible. Our f- Christian friends have been incredible. Our Christian, our family has been incredible. And so it's difficult going through this, even with this community around us. And so one thing that it, it's just reminded my wife, Casey, and I is, is like how much our heart breaks for people who go through similar things that don't have a ter- in an eternal view of God or don't have the uh you know the the saving power of the holy spirit mm-hmm. inside of them or they don't have christian community around them um it's like we were never meant to go through this life alone we were created to know god and we were never meant to live the christian life alone the yeah. christian life is meant to be lived in community so i just want to encourage you maybe your posture is you've kind of pulled back during this difficult time i just want to encourage you press in press into the lord press into the community press into your church um, because you're going to need that. You need it. Even if you don't want it, you need it. It's good, man. What would you, any, any tips for those who are, I think one of the things people have a hard time with, and I know you probably already experienced it, but is all the like well-intentioned nonsense that people do or say whenever, uh, you know, you're grieving. So is there anything you could encourage people if you're listening to this and you're not in the suffering time, maybe somebody next to you is suffering maybe two or three just tips on, you know, what's been helpful to you and your family and maybe what's not been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the biggest things, and I've made this mistake for a long time, even in ministry clean is, is a lot of times when people are grieving, um, we kind of unknowingly, I think, or unintentionally, we kind of put the pressure on them to reach out to us, meaning this. Tell me if you need anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And it's well-intentioned. You know, we got so you know, it's like, hey, uh, I'm here. If you need anything, reach out. What we're unintentionally doing is we're putting that pressure on that person who is grieving, probably just having a difficult time, not even making it through the day, making it through that hour saying, hey, uh, it's on you. The ball's in your court. If you need me, then you need to do the work to reach out. You need to come find me. You need to come search me out. Instead, just go, hey, I'm going to keep pressing in on that person now here's the deal i don't want to overwhelm them i don't want to bombard them but i am just going to let them know i'm here and i'm not going to put the pressure on them to like search me out and so here's i i feel here's some of the ways we were loved and served the best during this time is we would have people go hey um Hey, we know maybe others are bringing you meals. We don't want to just, you know, overwhelm you with food that's going to sit on your counter. Hey, but here's some gift cards. So whenever you need them, here's a gift card. Um, Hey, don't call me back, but here's a prayer, you know, text out. Here's some scripture. Hey, I'm calling you. And hey, don't feel the pressure to call me back. If you want to, fine. Don't feel the pressure, but I'm just going to pray for you over your voicemail. And so it's all those things of like, here's how I'm serving you. Here's how I want to serve you. And there's no pressure on you to call me back or, you know, anything like that. I think that's another thing that if we're not careful, we can, on somebody who's grieving, we can also add guilt to them. If you go, hey, well, I've been calling you and you're not calling me back. Or, hey, I told you to reach out and you never did. What we're doing is we're putting shame on yep. someone who's already grieving that's and that's not shame. helpful. So I would say don't expect anything of them and don't even put the ball in their court to reach out to you. Just go, I'm here. Here's a gift card. I'm here. Here's a prayer. I'm here. Here's a scripture. Hey, as I was praying, the Lord put this in my heart to share to you. And uh, 
hey, if they respond, great. If they don't respond, then don't make them feel guilty that they're not responding. Um, and so, man, I felt like looking back going, those are some little kind of subtle ways we just felt so loved by people going, hey, there's nothing we're expecting back, but here's this, whatever this is. That's yeah. so good, man. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah. my oldest was really sick when, when he was about six months to, well, really since he was born, but six to two and yeah. we ended up selling a house and selling a car and, and medical bills going to children's with him for like two years and one time our friends dropped like a hundred dollar gift card off and it was yeah. just like the it was like the best thing on earth because it was yeah. just like it, i didn't need to do anything i just got it and took it to the grocery store and got food and ate something you know yeah and it was just yeah. like i didn't have to like thank you so much you know we really mm -hmm. appreciate it oh yeah we're just trying to help you know you just get into these yeah, things yeah. it's so exhausting and yeah, um, I think you're spot on with that. Those are great yeah. tips for people. And, and these are well-intentioned things. Course. And listen, for some people, it may work out great. But, you know, something you look at and go, you know, somebody brought you a casserole, you know, that the kids don't like and they're not going to eat. And then they'll go, hey, well, how did you like my casserole? And then you're in this moment where you're like, I'm grieving. I don't want to hurt this person's feelings, but I don't want to lie by saying we didn't eat. You know what I mean? And so, like, I think, I think just serve, <laughs> like, be spirit-led. If the Lord puts something on your heart to serve people, just do it in that way. But don't expect anything in return. And and yep. I say don't put the pressure on them to reach out to you because that's putting the ball in their court and that's making them work. It's to good. come search you out and find you. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be, don't hold a fence either. You know, it's funny how people, yeah, they want right. to help and then they get offended that whatever they did wasn't good enough, wasn't helpful yeah, or they right. don't know what to do. Yeah. So yeah, I would say people just don't, don't yeah. hold a fence to the people that are hurting because yeah, that's right. they don't know, man. And, and also like they may respond poorly. They may have a bad attitude. They may pop that's off right. or do something that you don't like, dude, they're suffering and struggling and they need the space. Yeah. To don't like, take it personal. Yeah. 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 Good, for man. sure. Well, yep. man, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, any just closing thoughts or challenges you'd want to give to to listeners, man? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, we've been talking about young people for a long time. And first of all, Clint, I would just say, man, you're so easy to talk to. We could have easily turned this into a long form podcast of, you know, one of those three, four hour podcasts, absolutely. you know, so you're so easy to talk to. So I we'll have to do it more. We'll have to have you on our podcast. I know we've talked about that as well. But, you know, I, I think one that probably the number one question I get is being around a lot of young people. They'll go, Hey Shane, what's the secret sauce to reaching young people? What's the secret sauce? And so I want to give you the secret sauce in closing thoughts. It's not going to sell any books. All right. But here's the secret sauce. There's no secret sauce. That's the secret sauce. There's none. There's no secret sauce, but there is, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. The same gospel that has worked for 2000 years still works today. So stick to sharing the gospel. The second thing is the Holy Spirit of God. Know this, if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit of God, here's the good news. The Spirit of God inside you wants to reach the next generation even more than you do. Yep. The Holy Spirit inside you loves your kids even more than you do. So trust the spirit, be spirit led. And then the third thing, uh, stick to the Bible. The Bible is always relevant. Uh, the Bible is not uh, just a history book. It's a living book. And Hebrews 4.12, when it describes the word of God, all the descriptors of the word of God are present tense talk. Notice it's not past tense talk. It says the word of God is living, sharper, active, 
cutting. That's all present tense talk. Why? Because the Bible's always relevant. So all the things we see today aren't new sin. It's old sin. Um, it's not a progressive belief. A lot of times when people go, oh, this is these are progressive thoughts. Usually I found progressive thoughts is just compromising on old sin. You yeah. know what I mean? So like the Bible is always relevant. So here's the deal. Share the gospel. Be spirit led. Stick to the word of God. You can't go wrong. It's good stuff, man. Well, yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. And, you know, like I said, last time we met, I just enjoyed our connection at YC and was like, man, that's somebody I want to, you know, talk to, get to know, learn from. So I hope we continue to connect. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come on. Um, guys, thanks for listening. You can find Shane on Instagram. Um, you can find him on Facebook and uh, the social medias and check his podcast out. If you're a, a youth pastor, man, follow him, check him out. College pastor. He's got words of wisdom, lots of experience with that. And just on a personal note, man, you just, you know, shine the light of Christ. And that's something that needs to be said, needs to be seen. Um, I think your influence on just church culture and you, you strike a real good balance, man, just to be, speak some truth and encouragement in your life. The church is really struggling and there's a lot of toxic things about yeah. the Western American church, but you do a good job of helping us realize and, and people in your sphere of influence that like you can speak truth and grace at the same time. So we can critique and we can work through these things as a body, but let's not just be throwing stones and shaming the church and making it the problem because the church does so much amazing good in the world as well. Yeah. And so I think I really have been encouraged by that stuff. Um, so yeah, thanks guys for listening. God bless and have a good week.